What's up, Tamoka? How are you? Okay, about 10 of you are awake. That's awesome. Good evening. Hey, my name's Jason. Um, if you guys are new here and don't know who I am, my name's Jason, one of the pastors around here. And I think it's like happy May 4th be with you day or something. I don't know. I'm not a Star Trek fan. Just kidding. Star Wars. I know that gets offensive. People, it's fighting words. People get upset over that. But uh, happy Wednesday. Grateful to, uh, to get to jump into First John and, and close out what is just an, an incredible letter, an incredible book, but really it's a, it's a letter. And, um, you know, I come to the realization, like this is my third time with y'all. This is our third date. And, uh, and that means some things. And I feel like um, the first couple of times, I can't recall, but I don't know that you guys really got to meet the best part of my life. And so I wanted to do that because it really goes in line with where we're headed uh, this evening. And so first I want to introduce you to this lovely gal. That is my bride, Kelly. And you want to put a smile on her face, give her a whole plate of nachos, and she is one happy gal. Like, that is her. Um, We've been married for 14 slash three and a half years. 14 slash three and a half years. And so if you don't know the story behind that, and you can figure it out, I'll buy you a cup of coffee at the cafe. Um, We are a quirky couple, always have been pretty unique in everything we do, but so grateful for her. She's amazing. God loves her so much more than me. She's just awesome. And, um, and so from there, I want to introduce this guy. This is our son Gideon. He is six years old. Um, and you know, everybody tells you when you have kids, right? Everything's going to change. Of course, like it's no kidding. Um, Einstein, but, but I, you know, the first moment that I held Gideon, I wasn't prepared for how much it would literally obliterate everything I thought I knew about God. Like when I'm looking at this little, little boy, I, he, he just was born. I just met him and my heart was like exploding with love for him. And yet the Bible says that I'm an imperfect father. We have a perfect father. And how much more is his love for me, even though I am a mess, like it's amazing. And so We've had it really easy with Gideon. Gideon's pretty, pretty chill, always has been, did not prepare us for the next one. The next one is Zion James. Now, okay, Zion, I don't know if you noticed, this picture doesn't do it justice, but he's got red hair. Do we have any redheads in the house, like natural born redheads? Okay, good. I need notes. Please help me because he's crazy. He's crazy. We don't know what to do. Like... He's literally climbing the walls in and out of cabinets. If I gave him the keys to my truck, he'd probably go drive it. Like the kid, he's amazing. I love him, but he's crazy. So help me. Give me some notes, some cliff notes. I would certainly be grateful for, um, you know, but when you, when you look at parenting, I think there's one thing that stands true. The test of time is people want to give you unwarranted, uninvited advice on how to raise your kids. It just happens and you kind of be gracious in that. But I did get one little nugget of truth that I found impactful and it it really goes along with where John is in his life. And it's simply this, that the parenting is learning to trust God with your kids one day at a time. Parenting is learning how to like let go and trust God with your kids one day at a time. That's always stuck with me. Because as as parents, like we've got the most important role to play. We have the most influence in who our kids become and how they show up in the world. 
And like when I look at those two little boys, I think, what do they need to know? And what do I need to teach them to prepare them to not only survive, but thrive in a world that's spiraling out of control? It's overwhelming. It's absolutely overwhelming. Parents in the room with high schoolers, you guys know what I'm talking about. You're sitting in that place now. Like I'm just getting started and I'm freaking out. And so, you know, it's, it's a lot of pressure in that. And that's really where we see John. You see, we, we, we see in this letter, these churches are a lot like John's kids. In fact, John references them as little children, children, beloved, almost 10 times. Like you can see a, a real father's heart for these people and for these churches. And I think that's important to note because, because you get to see, it really changes how you read this letter. Like it's, it's a love letter from a father. You know, the Bible, and rightly so, calls God our Father, but this kind of introduces a a new idea um, of a spiritual father. You know, at this point in his life, John's like a hundred years old or something. He's this frail old man that's that's literally getting carried into these places. Um, You know, he, just to catch you up on his life, he, he tried to kill him by putting him in a vat full of boiling oil. Well, that didn't work. So he got exiled to an island called Patmos. And this isn't the Caribbean. Like this place was rocky, windy, extreme weather. He's in a cave all alone, like except for when Jesus makes a cameo appearance. But, but John is like, I can't imagine the mental fortitude it took for John to survive that. Not to mention at this place in his life, he's the only one left. Like all his friends have been martyred. They've all been killed. And yet here John sits. Like, can you imagine what that had to be like for him? And so you you read this letter and and it really shows like John is in this real interesting place because he's, he's sacrificed everything. He has sacrificed so much of his life for the cause of the gospel. He has invested so much into these people and into these churches, just like a parent does for their child. And now he sees this, this family, these, these kids wrestling with turmoil. This is a church that's, that's in turmoil. People are leaving the faith. People are, are, are doubting Jesus as the Messiah. They're doubting Jesus actually died on the cross. Like they're questioning his divinity. And so, so reading this, it's like a father writing to his kids that are just lost in turmoil. And, and there's a lot more emotion behind it than just simply reading it as an instruction manual. Can we please agree to never call the Bible an instruction manual ever? It is so much more. It is a love letter written from a father. You know, and so before we jump into to five, uh, to close it out, I thought we would just kind of do a breeze through, through um, just each of the chapters through this lens of a father writing to his kids. And so chapter one, you know, the big idea is, is simply this, that Jesus is real. Like Jesus is really a man who really lived, you know, and John's like, I touched him. I've seen him. I've hung out with him. You know, in, in verse two, he says, the life was made manifest. Jesus was made real and we've seen it, testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the father made manifest to us. Like what John's saying is like, I was there 
A sign. This is the message that I'm proclaiming to you. Regardless of what the false teachers and the people are leading you astray. Jesus was real. And, and he begins with Jesus' humanity and his divinity. Like that, that lays a foundation. You know, he goes in in, in chapter 2. He, um, the big idea is that Jesus paid the price. And in verse 2, it says he is the propitiation. Propitiation. I chose that on purpose. Because ESV is one of the only versions that uses that word. And there's so much depth in that word alone. You should look it up. It's powerful. But essentially, it's the atonement. He's, he paid the price for our sins. And not just for ours only, but for the sins of the world. That Jesus paid the ultimate price for you and for me. And so no matter where you find yourself, whatever you're wrestling with, get back up. Keep going. Jesus covered it. Move on. You know, and then in chapter three, he goes, you know, it's really how the world knows what we believe is true. It's about loving people. You know, in, in 323, he says, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another just as he has commanded us. Like, let me, let me lay this out for you, y'all. Love God, love people. It's that simple. Love God, love people. It's two pedals on a bike. It's how you make progress. Just get out there and love you some people. You know, I taught on this, what, like a month and a half ago. How's your love for people? How's your love for people that you don't agree with? Because that's what John's saying here. You know, and then he goes on in chapter four. It's kind of these two big ideas of, look, there's an enemy. And then the very nature of God is love. You know, he says in verse four, two, you know, talking about how to discern what's the enemy and what's God. He says, by this, you know, the spirit of God, that every spirit that confesses Jesus has come in the flesh is from God, that not everything that's spiritual is good. Like my boys, I know that for sure. They need to know there is an enemy out to get them. And that's what John's saying here to them. Like there's an enemy that really doesn't like you. And the way that you combat it, the way that you see it is comparing the nature, that the very nature of God is love. God is love. Compare the spirit against that. And so then he goes on, and, 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 and that's where we're going to find ourselves in, um, in chapter 5. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open it there. Um, we're not going to cover the whole chapter. We're just going to kind of cover that first five verses, the first section, because that's enough. And, um, and really, there's three big ideas there. There's three big ideas. It's belief, obedience, and victory. Belief, obedience, and victory. Like if I was to summarize this whole section up, it's simply this, that true belief drives our obedience. And it's in our obedience that we stand in victory. True belief drives our obedience, and it's in our obedience that we stand in victory. And so let me just read it through and then we'll, we'll break it down. Um, in verse one, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except for the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? That everyone who believes that Jesus is the son of God has been born of God. 
And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever's been born of him. Verse 1, he starts out right there. Everyone who believes, belief, belief. What does it mean to truly believe something? Like everything begins and ends with that. Because we, we live out our lives what we truly believe. Not what we say we believe. But what truly lies within and what we believe. And so let me ask you, is belief, is this belief that he's talking about, is this a, a one-time decision or is this, is this a choice in every moment of every day? Is it a one-time decision or is it a choice in every moment of every day? You know, I think oftentimes we're guilty when we read to believe, we equate that with this one-time moment. Like, oh yeah, I, I said a prayer at a summer camp once. Or, well, I I got baptized, I believed in that moment, or, you know what, service was powerful, and in a moment, I just kind of felt like I believed. And and look, those are all like really, those are really good things. But in essence, belief is something deeper. It's what we live out each and every day of our lives. It's not about what you say, it's about what you do. So, so, So am I, like as I make a decision... What do they reflect about my belief in God? You know, when I'm in a valley, when I'm in a struggle and everything's falling apart, do I believe that God works all things out for the good of those who love him? You know, do I believe that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift? Do I believe that God is a provider and a sustainer? Because if I believe that, how is that reflected in my giving? But do I believe that God can look after my boys each and every day? Do I believe that God has me in the season I'm in for a purpose and a reason? Like you can just go on and on and on. Our belief drives our response. And so it's absolutely crucial that we spend time on this and we really reflect like what is it I believe? Belief drives action. And that's exactly where John goes in in verse 2. He says, by this we know, by this we know the love, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Belief leads to obedience. Belief leads to obedience. Like what we believe about God drives our belief and drives our obedience in what God says. Show of hands, how many of you really like the word obedience and obey? Only a couple. You guys are the rule followers. I praise God for you. Because you know what? I, I, I can't stand that word. I just struggle with it. And I don't know if it's because I'm stubborn, if it's because of my sinful nature. But like I really struggle When I hear the word, I need to obey. You know, absolutely everyone should obey the speed limit. I agree with that. Unless it's me. Like, all of you should obey the speed limit. But I can't. Like, I've tried. Even with a cop behind me, I can't do the speed limit. Sorry, Ralph. Like, I just can't do it. It's not physically possible for me. And it just reflects this obedience. Like, you're not going to tell me what speed to go. Like, obedience is a struggle. But according to John, it's how we know we love God. It's through our obedience. 
And if I'm honest with you, this idea of obedience is the measurement of what it means to be a mature Christian. This is the measurement of maturity in Christ. You know, the last couple of times I was up here, I said some things that could be perceived as controversial. And so I figure, well, I'm up here. I might as well keep that same pattern. And and it's simply this, that here in America, especially in just the overall American church, here in America, we have this erroneous belief that knowledge equates to maturity. That knowledge is the mark of a mature Christian. And that's just simply not true. And it's not biblical. Like there's far too many people that are focused on growing in knowledge and not obedience. You know, like here we champion people with more degrees than Fahrenheit. We champion people with degrees on the wall, but we don't champion people who are, are, who are obedient to applying it into the world. We champion knowledge more than we champion obedience. And the problem with that, the problem with that is there's far too many people who are held captive from stepping out and doing what God has told them to do because of this. I have met with so many incredible people who would make phenomenal group leaders. People who could be a real blessing to 10 to 12 people, people who could have a significant impact in other people's lives. And yet so many of them won't step out in faith to lead others simply because they don't know enough. How many people are scared to actually share their faith simply because they lack knowledge? I don't know enough. What if they ask me a question I can't answer? Again, we champion, we champion knowledge more than we champion obedience. And, and please don't hear me in this. Knowledge is a great thing. Knowledge is a great thing. And I love being around really smart people. They help fill the gap for me. And I'm grateful for them. But knowledge is only as useful as your level of obedience. Knowledge is only as useful as your level of obedience. And if we're honest... And this is a generality, and so forgive me, but the American church is far more knowledgeable than they are obedient to what they already know. Too many Christians sit stagnant in their faith because of their lack of obedience. God's not going to take you to step three if you're not obedient in step two. I mean, let's look at what Jesus said in the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's your work order. We all have that. It's not just my job. It's all of us. But then what does he say next? Teach them to obey. Teach them to obey. Not teach them to know more. Not teach them for knowledge's sake. Teach them to obey. It comes back to obedience. And here's why that's important. Because obedience communicates, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. I trust to listen to what you tell me to do. Or God, I trust you to stop doing what you tell me to stop doing. Oh, this, um, this got highlighted for me with Gideon. So we, um, for the last year, we've been racing BMX. You know, I, the racing thing I just can't get rid of. 
And so we, we got him a BMX bike. We race over on Strickland Range Road. The people that run it are phenomenal. And honestly, just for me, I've really loved being a part of a community apart from the church. Like, it's kind of fun hanging out with unchurched people. Um, it, it really is. And so, you know, we've been going there a lot as a family, and it's really been a great place to invest ourselves. And, and the thing that it's helped Gideon with has been phenomenal because Gideon is a very soft-natured kid. Very soft-natured kid. Like when we see pictures of him in class, his teacher posts, like he's kind of on his own. That's just, I mean, that's just kind of how he is. And, and BMX has been a place for him to learn, to believe in himself, to gain confidence, to really like set a goal and, and go for it. And as his dad, I'm, I'm trying to coach him the best that I'm able. And so when I'm watching him race, I see the areas that he's struggling in. You know, there's been moments where I I literally watch him struggle with fear and doubt. There's one little boy that he races with that um, has crashed him three or four times. Now, I'm not going to say it's intentional or not. I mean, I'm his dad, so of course I sway one way. But at the end of the day, he's crashed him three or four times. And so I've literally watched Gideon. This kid's half his size, but he's so scared to be near him. He'll stop pedaling and let him go ahead. Even if he's in front of him. And so I've seen him like held captive by his fears. And it's been a fun journey to to be able to encourage him in that moment. To be able to speak life into him. And build him up to push past that fear and doubt. And when he actually obeys. When he actually listens to what I tell him to do. It's amazing to watch him push past to that next level. Like he, it's this new discovery. And this new level of confidence in what he's doing. And, 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 and really the same goes for our walks with Jesus. Because it's when we trust God, it's when we trust our Heavenly Father, that He takes us to this new level. He takes us to a place of victory. And that's, again, that's where John goes. And in verse 4, he says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except for the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You know, it kind of mirrors what John wrote in um, John 16, 33, what Jesus said. John wrote, um, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace, that in the world you will have tribulation, but behold, I have overcome the world. You know, there's, there is far too many Christians in our world right now that are gripped with fear. There is far too many people gripped and wrapped up in worry and held captive by it all. Living a life of retreat from the world. There's far too many people hiding from our world in proverbial bunkers. Too scared to go out and love those who are far from God. They're living in fear. Except John says right here, it's our faith that's the victory that overcomes the world. Like we have victory. It says it right here. That as Christians, we should come from and we should live in a place of victory. Like sure, our country's not headed in a right place. That's obvious. But guess what? God's on the throne. You know what? Our schools, of course, they're not headed in a good direction. But guess what? God's on the throne. Like our world is a dumpster fire right now. But guess what? God is on the throne. And because God is on the throne, we have victory. And that's where we need to live from, not worry and fear. 
And look, I'm not standing up here to tell you I've got it all figured out and I don't have those things because I wrestle with it just like everybody else. You know, and as a dad, I'm honestly, I'm scared to death of what my boys are going to have to face and the world that they're going to inherit. But as their dad, as their protector, as their provider, like I'm the one to model what it means to love Jesus and trust in what God says. I don't want them to fear. And that's what, that's what John is saying. Like, like, look, y'all, we got nothing to fear. Jesus overcame. And so because of that, we too are overcomers. That it's by your belief in Jesus and your obedience to that belief that we stand in victory. And so let me ask you, let me ask you, what do you believe? What do you believe? Like, have you placed your faith and your hope in Jesus? I mean, truly given him your life, not just said a prayer one time, not just maybe got in and out of that baptistry, but truly said, God, here's my life and do so each and every day. Because if you haven't done that, what are you waiting for? Let's talk about it. Like there is life, there is hope at the foot of the cross. And if, and if you have, how's your obedience in this season? Is there a consistent sin in your life that God's saying, stop, I'm here to help. Or is there something God's calling you to step out in faith and do, and you're, you're gripped with fear and worry or your lack of knowledge? Again, we see that with John, like God is a good father and John is leading his kids to what it means to have bold faith. Like I resonate with John so much in this letter. I, I do, because you know what? As a father, I am so honored to share that title with God. I am beyond grateful for it. And these two little boys, man, they, um, they mean more to me than just about anything next to Jesus and Kelly. And I got to be honest, like as a, as a parent, I feel the weight and I feel the pressure of raising these two little guys to be strong, godly men who love boldly. And the thing I keep coming back to, the most important thing I can do is to learn each and every day to trust God and let them go one day at a time to show them that God is worthy of our trust. To show them that God is worthy of our belief. He's worthy of our obedience. And to show them that there is a victory that has already been won. We just get to step into that through our faith. You know, in John, he, he kind of wraps up chapter 5. And he just says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know. That you may know that you have eternal life. Do you have eternal life? That your eternity, heaven began the moment of your profession. It's not just someday when you die. You can choose today to live in the kingdom. Because again, the victory has been won. All God's asking us to do is to believe it. To be obedient in it. 
and to stand in that victory that we already have. You know, God, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your blessing of of John and his life that, God, we can learn from, that we can grow from. God, you know each person in this room, and you know where we struggle. You know the areas where we're gripped with worry and fear. You know the areas where we struggle with doubt. God, the parents in the room that wrestle with their children and, and raising them to love you and love people. And so, God, speak to us specifically with where we need to be obedient, what it is you're asking us to do, what it is you're calling us out to do. Oh, God, we profess our faith. We believe in who you are. We believe in what you say you can do. But, God, you got a job for us. And so give us a boldness in our obedience to get out there and love people and make disciples. Father, we love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, thanks, y'all, for being here. We'll see you back next week.